Okay, I guess from there they have zero context. Like people from the area probably have zero context because. So if you're in Austin, you got a fifty. Yeah, you got fifty-fifty chance. <laughs> Welcome to the Hats I Know podcast, your host Chris and David. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, and you know the drill. We go through four random facts that we each find interesting throughout the past week, starting always off with a hat fact. David, I don't think I've seen him buy a hat in like three weeks, so... But he's still in charge of our hat facts. My wallet can only handle one mass amount of buying of an object at a time. Oh, okay. And considering I just bought three discs from Sweden, um... At the moment, it's disc golf. But that season's winding down, so then hats will pick up again. That's how this works. Anyway, hat fact. Where were bucket hats invented? In a bucket? Country. Oh, country. Well, country looks like a bucket. Oh, I never did the, what was the most hat-shaped country. I have the code for it. I just didn't finish it. I'll do that sometime. I'm going to go with Croatia. Okay. It is in Europe. I figured it was in Europe. Uh, England? Very close. It's a country that hates England. The rest of Europe? Yeah, never mind. Um... (laughs) Northern Ireland. Ireland. Right, Northern Ireland is part of the UK or something. Yeah, you can still hate England being the UK. Look at Scotland. So for bucket hats, they one of their original names is the Irish walking hat, because it's Ireland. Okay. But they're in case you don't know what a bucket hat is, essentially think of a fedora, but floppy. Okay. Ironically, I do know what a bucket hat is, but mainly just because uh, of sports. I was going to say rappers as well, I assume. Like um, LL Cool J's Red bucket hat no mainly sports why, why sports uh, a formula one driver wears a bucket hat okay <laughs> um they've always been on the like edge of fashion in terms of like not mainstream but again they kind of look like a fedora so you can get away with it sometimes and also they're very practical they have their ups and downs in fashion but never quite make it to fashionable they have their ups and downs but you know that's just the brim as well, because it's not really a brim. Isn't just wavy? It's basically, it's a, it's slightly stiffer fabric, but not like as stiff as a brim would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, essentially, the, originally it was worn by like farmers and fishermen and such, uh, because it kind of slopes all the water off your face, but isn't so wide that it gets in your field of vision. So like some pilots enjoy wearing them because again, it keeps the sun out of their eyes, but it's not stiff uh, and it's not wide. So they don't really get it in their field of vision. It doesn't, it, it seems like it'd be a efficient too yes. for keeping you nice and cool yes uh because there's you it's it's usually kind of like canvasy material obviously can be made out of anything including felt there we are um yeah. it, it was also very popular with rappers in the 80s and 90s again LL cool j's red kangle bucket hat but he's probably one of the more famous pictures of him for the album i think it was on the album cover i don't maybe it became very popular with rappers it became essentially very popular with people that were on the fringes of of uh of fashion but now it's become more of a like mainstream thing because again they're very practical they they essentially look like a fedora but you can roll them up and throw them in your pocket pull it out and it's fine. Well, you said it's normally uh, normally kind of on the fringe of society in terms of fashion anyway. So it seems like, you know, just being on the fringe is a good place for a bucket hat. Yeah, I honestly, I, I, if I could pick a place to be, I get most of the success without any of the annoying paparazzi. Feels like that's the fringe of, of you know, society, fashion, whatever you want to call it. Feels like that's the better place to be. Like being a being Mike Trout. Because people like, at one point he was saying that he could like go out and walk around and like nobody recognized him, even though he makes multi-million dollars a year like that feels like the best case scenario like nobody really bothers you but you still get all the benefits that go along with you know success and fame yeah i think you can still do that 
And that's what the bucket hat's doing. Yeah, honestly, maybe the bucket hat should be what all of the Marvel superheroes wear instead of the nondescript, uh, no logo folded dad hat. No, they need the non... Well, can you have a non-logo bucket hat? Yeah. Because that's really the key with the Marvel is they need the non-logo. Yeah, no, most most of them are non-logo. I mean, obviously, it's a very front, forward-facing front to it, so it can easily be made into a bucket hat or easily made into a logo hat. Also, as we know, Marvel doesn't have enough money to pay for, you know, use of a logo. No, they do it much more overtly. Let me grab a Coke from the fridge. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, can you take that part out? Um, let's go watch Discovery Plus. There you go. That's that's how uh, that's how they do their advertising. Recently, there was a Mythbusters auction. Oh, yeah. For Grant Amahara. Yes. With a bunch of Mythbusters Myth, props. Mm-hmm. And one of them that you could buy was Mythbusters beer, which was just a beer that they printed a label on because they weren't allowed to show any labels on Discovery, much to Adam Savage's annoyance. So they just started printing fake labels to put on everything. Question. How many of them are coming to the house at the moment? Uh, zero, because I didn't find out about it till the auction ended. Okay, makes sense. We, we should make Hats All We Know logos for random things. Though a lot of the auction, I th- the few item prices that I saw were like $1,100, so... That's awesome. Like, not for us buying it, but for the purposes of what the auction was for. I mean, one of them was their giant mechanical shark that they used in the Shark Week special 2008, which I would have wanted. I wouldn't know where to put it ever, but... Or the uh, the golf ball car. Mm, yeah. Which they were saying they enjoyed because uh, one of the big three car manufacturers wrote to them and said that they, des- they essentially redid the test themselves on a full-size car of a different type of car, and they didn't find the same results. And he's like, I don't even care that they didn't find the same results because it's a different car. I don't take issue with that. I just love the fact that we wasted a big three car manufacturer's time. Yeah. But back to bucket hats. I was going to say, so they have obviously a lot of different names. Uh, one of my favorite names is Australia. Once I find the right tab that this is on. Okay. Really? I didn't. There we are. Um, the probably the more common name is bush hat. By the way, floppy hats, same thing concept. Yeah. One of their nicknames in Australia is the giggle hat. Ooh. Quote, because of the appearance. <laughs> People giggle at it. I mean, wouldn't you? Would. They also, you know, have the island for air. I went to a summer camp and what they did is they put a curly shoestring through two of the eyelets that were next to each other and every activity you went to you got a bee that you put onto the uh, curly shoelace and by the end of it you just had like all these you know all the beads which I absolutely loved it was fantastic I thought it was a fantastic idea uh, one day my the person that I was buddies with hooked their finger while fishing like nope. through the finger no nope. and so he obviously missed a few activities and So what we did is we went home and we tried to find beads that were the same so that he could have his hat also have all the beads because it is very important. But the main thing is that they're fantastic for keeping the sun off of your neck as well as your face, which is Mm -hmm. a very important thing when you're outside for long periods of time, either fishing, camping, hiking, so on and so forth. But I didn't like the look of it. So what you can do is if you fold up the back and the sides into the hat, so like into the part that you wear, it becomes a baseball hat with a relatively stiff brim because of all the folds. Uh, So in case you're ever wearing a bucket hat or you have one and you want to make it into a baseball hat, fold the back into the part that you're wearing into the bucket part, fold the sides in, you now have a baseball hat. And if you want to wear it backwards, what you can do is fold the front in or, and hear me out, just turn it around. Yeah, just just turn around. That's easier. Well, there you go. A useful fact. Uh, Honestly, I never knew the bucket hat came from Ireland. And I like that it's called the Irish walking hat, even though it was fishers and farmers that invent that started wearing them, but like, eh. Well, we'll, we'll move on to uh, actually another naming issue. Ooh, okay. Uh, so you know Portland, Oregon? I do. Yeah, how did, uh, what method was used to get Portland, Oregon as the name? Okay, so there's Portland, Maine. There is. And it's a, probably about the same latitude as Portland, Oregon. Maine's 
further north, I would assume. But Portland's at the bottom, right, of Maine? Yeah. So my thought process is since Portland, Maine is on the east coast, then they were trying to name a, a city on the west coast that was about the same level. They were like, well, what if you go port to port? You did a lot more logic than they did. Okay, uh, different method. What they did is they had a seal in an aquarium and they put a bunch of names in front of it and it went, art, art, Portland. It didn't point at the Portland one, it just said Portland. I mean, basically, they flipped a coin. Okay, what was the other side of the coin? Boston. Okay, so it's actually essentially the same idea as Portland to Portland or Boston to Boston. It's about the same latitude. It was a person from Maine and a person from Massachusetts. Well, I'm happy the person from Massachusetts lost. You hear that, roommate? But wait, that's, it got named by a coin flip in 1845. This is fantastic. Do they? Okay, this is a thing that we would do now, and I know that, but at the time, did they keep the coin and it's enshrined in their like town hall? Because that's definitely a thing we would do now. I, I don't think so. I don't know. If you were, if anyone creates a time machine, and goes back in history, grabs that coin, brings it back so we can enshrine it, I feel like that's going to be, you could sell that for a lot of money. Like at least the value of the coin. They didn't just want to give it a 50-50. So it was between uh, Asa Lovejoy. Asa Lovejoy. Oh my God, why did they not name it Asa Lovejoy? And Francis Pettigrove. No, fuck, no. Asa Lovejoy is what they should have named it. Well, Lovejoy was from Massachusetts and he wanted to name the new settlement Boston. Oh wait, was his first name Asa? Yeah, A-S-A. I thought it was A-S-S. -S. No. Like Ass, a Lovejoy, kind of like Star Wars, you know, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And Pettigrove was from Maine and wanted to name the new town Portland. Pettigrove won the coin toss two out of three times. Wait. So they did best two out of three. For naming. So they didn't want to make it 50-50. So they made it 50-50. They made it 50-50, but you had to get it the 50-50 twice. That's still a 50-50 chance. A quote from blueoregon.com. This is just embarrassing. Yes. Oh, that's actually because a, a senator said, believes that Portland is called Portland because it's a port. I, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I was assuming before you said what naming method. Yeah, it would make sense. But yeah, no, we just liked flipping a coin. Okay, so question then. Okay. Why was Portland, Maine named Portland, Maine? Yeah, it's a port. <laughs> okay, so it is basically just because it's a port, in which case that senator's not wrong. I mean, let me Google Portland, Maine, but I'm assuming it's near the ocean, so. It is. It's it's on the ocean. It's at the bottom of Maine. And it's, we liked calling things new if it was named before. There is an English Isle of Portland. Portlandia, okay. Land surrounding a harbor, so a port. Portland was named after the English Isle of Portland, Dorset. So, also, not sure if you know this. I assume you do because you took um, American history. I did. But Port or Maine used to be a part of Massachusetts until the Missouri Compromise. Yep. Sorry, the Missouri Compromise. So basically, it was Massachusetts fighting with itself, which feels like very Massachusetts. I'm, I think they do that now. Yeah, yeah, that, that feels very Massachusetts. I'm, I'm really happy. So like, also, why a coin? They had just gotten, you know, they they actually were on a trip together at Aldi shopping and they just got the cart back. That's it. That's That's gotta be the answer. I love how making, returning the cart means that you get the quarter out of the cart again, means that people return the cart so much more. That's hilarious. Yeah, it also keeps it cheaper. Their prices are less because they don't have to pay someone to go get the carts out of the parking lot. Or replace the carts because people keep stealing them slash breaking them. I mean, you don't want to steal the Aldi carts usually. One of the wheels is there's usually not a good cart. But you return it because you want to get your quarterback. Like, just return your cart to begin with. Why wouldn't you return your cart? Have you met America? Just, I don't understand people that don't return their cart when they're finished using it. Like, no matter how much of a hurry I've ever been in, I've never been in so much of a hurry that I can't take the 30 seconds to walk back to 
the cart return. And if you know you're in that big of a hurry, just park next to the cart return. I wonder if Lovejoy left after that, because if I just moved across country to make a new settlement and lost the, what I wanted to name it because of a coin flip, I think I'd leave. The US? No, just, just uh, the new Portland. But can you imagine going back to Boston and having to tell all of your friends that you lost naming a city because of a coin flip? You're not going back to Boston after that. No, you're stuck out west. You're not going back east. But he could have tried to make another Boston. We have one Boston, and that's more than enough. I don't think Boston, Boston, I think, would prefer another Boston. Do you think they would? I don't think so. I feel like the Bostonians would like some more Bostonians. Bostonians don't like other Bostonians. Yeah, so they want more people to not like. Actually, this logic pans out. Yeah, that, that actually, yep. Last week, um, I don't know if you remember that far back. I don't. What was last week? Last week, I talked about the Morse code and how they, you know, the, the statistics around the Morse code. Right, our statistics episode. Yes. Again, sorry if you hate math, but hopefully it was at least entertaining because it involved words as well. Like, I feel like we hit all the bases there, right? Words, statistics. I don't know what else there is. But this week, talk about last time was cryptography. This time is data storage. If you can't tell the things that I enjoy, I think now you know. I thought you were going to go the uh, opposite of math and go with words. I mean, honestly, that is statistics. It's just a bunch of, it's a paragraph with a couple numbers in it. Yeah. So this time is about data storage, right? I, on a previous episode, about a year ago now, um, I tried to explain memory storage, right? Flash memory storage. Is that the feather? Yes. Yeah. How, the, how much, how much does it weigh? Yeah. If you got through that episode, I, I apologize. If you didn't get through that episode, I, I understand and I still apologize. Anyway, instead of explaining that type of memory, talking about data storage involving DNA. Okay. So DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, is essentially what stores all of the data for creating who you are as a person inside your cells. Everything from your eye color to your hair color to what your face looks like to how to get rid of COVID, right? Yeah. Okay, that how to get rid of COVID is not... I thought that was mRNA. It, it's, yeah, but however, well, no, the mRNA is what they, anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, DNA stores essentially all the information that creates all of the proteins, all of the everything in your body, right? Yeah. And it uses four different nucleotides, okay. two of them, one pair with another one, the other pairs with the other pair, right? Yeah. Um, so it's two sets of pairs. And so with those two sets, when your mRNA gets to a ribosome, it uses three block chunks to create all your protein. So it essentially encodes it that way, which means DNA already encodes information. Why not use it to store information like a flash drive? That sounds hard. It is. However, it's a thing that people are currently doing. Are they actively doing it? Or are they researching doing it? Technically both. So in 2019, they 16 gigabytes of Wikipedia okay. have been encoded into DNA. Wait, 16 gigabytes of Wikipedia. What's that? One one thousandth of uh, the data of Wikipedia? It says all 16 gigabytes of Wikipedia. How is Wikipedia only 16 gig? <laughs> Got nothing there? Um, I will learn to accept that, but I... I... I'll just have to learn. Yeah, it says the tech startup is called Catalog, and it says that they put all of the text, there we are, from the English language version of Wikipedia into uh, DNA. Okay, the text I could see. Yeah, my bad. That, that's on me. However, that's really cool. Yeah. In case you're wondering. How do you get it out of the DNA? They have a little like test tube sort of thing. Okay. And there's, there's some orange goo at the bottom that's like the size of a grain of rice. And that's Wikipedia. It's all right there. How do you get it out of the DNA? Uh, essentially, you sequence the DNA, right? They're really overcomplicating this. Not really, because DNA has a really long shelf life and it's very robust. And theoretically, so PCR, right? You know that from COVID, PCR tests. Uh, yeah, I do. 
PCR is a way of replicating DNA to make a lot of examples of it, right? That's why the PCR test was slightly better. Right, because what it does is essentially just takes whatever the DNA fragment is and just makes a crap ton of them so that it can more easily be measured because there's more of them, right? Yeah. So what this means is theoretically, you can just use PCR to copy and paste DNA fragments. So it's very robust. It's, you can copy it. Um, and also there is a researchers at Mount Sinai put a fragment of DNA. Okay inside of a larger fragment did they then put that fragment inside of a larger fragment they inception this of of yeah of course why wouldn't they they made a turducken yes they made a turducken dna sequence yeah okay that had a essentially a uh, start sequence and an end sequence so you knew where the message was so when you sequence the entire chain if you don't know what the start and stop is you don't know where to look for the message mm -hmm. however if you do know the start and stop you know exactly where the message is and you can decode it and so what they did is they typed out a letter put the dna fragment on a period at the end of the letter and mailed it to themselves in the u.s postal service why because what they then did is when they got the letter opened it up pulled off the essentially dna sequence or DNA, DNA fragment, sequenced it, and saw if they could, if it still retained all of the information, essentially if they could still get the message out of it. I'm assuming the answer was yes. Yes, the answer was yes. Also, I, I lied. They didn't traducken it. They did a uh, a tur-tur-kiki or whatever Ted yep. made in How I Met Your Mother. Because it's the same thing over and over. So it's not turducken. Well, it's it's inside the middle of a fragment. Yeah, but it's still, it's all DNA. Yeah, it, I guess. It's DN it's random DNA surrounding useful DNA. So essentially, it's the equivalent in DNA of my words. Most of the words are meaningless and useless. However, there's that little fragment in the middle that actually contains the information. Now, are they doing this in human DNA or animal DNA? Uh, they can do it in both. This one just happened to be human. Okay, and is our DNA, like, is it that different? Or is it still the same four amino acids? Still the same four amino acids. The sum for, like, most animals, bacteria, there's some other nucleotides for like RNA and such. Anyway, uh, the main thing is that the difference would be in the specific three letter sequence that codes for different amino acids. Mm -hmm. Some animals have essentially different codes for different amino acids. Oh, okay. But again, it's still the same four nucleotides. But if you were to, uh, where where is that one? Here, let me get this up. This is really cool. So is this the future storage? Future storage of how large the, how much space you would need to take up. Because with current methods, it's compared to DNA, which again, all of Wikipedia at the bottom of a vial. Um, so DNA is very size. Mm -hmm. Words are not coming to me at the moment. Um, <laughs> very efficient in terms of data to size. Okay. So this is according to Scientific American said that. Okay. Seems, uh, seems reliable. I feel like that's a good good source, re reliable. I'll trust their I'll trust their math. Said that humanity will generate an estimated 33 zettabytes of data by 2025. 3.3 followed by 22 zeros. Okay. So that's almost a quarter of a Google. Yeah, that's a lot. And with DNA, you could put all of that information inside of a ping pong ball with room to spare. And then we can play ping pong. Then we can play ping pong with all of the data the world has ever created. I don't think it would bounce well because it's goo inside of it, but you know. Oh, no, we, then we have a bouncy ball. You're right. We can... We, we now have a bouncy ball that contains all of the world's data. Yeah. Uh, and there's no way that data can get corrupted if we bounce it. Exactly. Well, actually, it's, DNA is fairly robust, which is another reason to use it. Some estimates have a half-life of about 500 years under the correct storage conditions, which is much longer than current flash memory. And there's 
So there's something called the Internet of Things, which is essentially your device has information associated with it on the Internet. Okay. So team researchers in Ireland and Switzerland coined the term the DNA of things in which you can take those fragments of DNA, okay. put them into objects. And now those objects can contain the blueprints to make them. Uh, like they made a quote, Stanford bunny, which the 3D printed plastic filament has the blueprint on how to make the bunny. Ooh, nice. Which is, I think, really cool. Like the idea of being able to print a thing, 3D printing, and then, because usually you just get the thing and you're like, okay, cool, I have this. But if you want to make more, you can just snip a tiny uh, bit of the filament off and make as many as you want. I, I just find this super fascinating that you could fit all of the world's data instead of like all of the clouds and everything that we have now. You can store it offline in a ping pong ball and still have room to spare. Uh, do you want to know it's not cool? Hot thing. Uh, yes, yes. Arizona. Arizona is very... The Sahara Desert. Sorry, the Desert Desert. I was really thinking uh, grocery stores in the US or really just... Uh, I don't know. The cold aisles, are, I enjoy those. After anything but the cold aisles and the like spritz they put on the uh, vegetables, yeah, everything else is not cool. Sorry, more. We like lying in the U.S. Yeah, that's that's our national pastime. It's not baseball. Yeah. We lied about that. So some people looked at how much we lie when it comes to seafood. Oh, okay. That that I'm fine with. I just, I don't want to get into how much I lie as a person because I don't want to know those numbers. Yeah, when it comes to seafood. Okay. So when it comes to seafood in the United States, specifically fish. Okay. Oh, no. Are you going to please tell me you're going to make the pun that is very closely associated with this? No. What percentage of fish is mislabeled? Okay, is it is labeled in general or is there a specific type of fish that's typically mislabeled for another type of fish? Uh, mislabeled in general okay. is the one that we're going for here. The worst offense one is red snapper. In this study, only seven out of 87 red snapper samples that they got and bought were actually red snapper. That's like a documentary I watched where they were going to like concerts and such and testing people's drugs. They knew what they were actually taking. Um, and most of what they were told was uh, crap. I think it was most of what they told were was meth was just Molly, which has very different effects. Yeah. So it, it feels I'm not surprised by this. Oh, no. Red snapper is also very expensive. And to most. OK, then, yeah, it's kind of like wasabi, I guess, then. Yes. No wasabi is actually wasabi. It's horseradish um, because wasabi is ridiculously expensive. Um, And you're not going to tell the difference. And that's the point. Most people aren't going to tell the difference between a red snapper and like a salmon. As long as you're. So I guess that's the same idea with like alcohol and such of like if you're told it, it's more expensive than it tastes better. If you think it's red snapper, then it tastes better. And they can just make a higher profit. Yeah. So I'm going to go with 72%. It's lower. We're not that bad. 24%. About one third. 37%. There you go. We, we got that math back. So about 33? Yeah, 33% were mislabeled. That's rough. Sushi vendors and grocery stores were the most likely outlets to sell mislabeled food. Okay, I know you literally just said this, um, but I forgot what came after sushi vendors. Grocery stores. Thank you very much. I guess where else sells fish, though? Restaurants that don't make sushi. Okay, how many samples did they test from grocery stores, sushi vendors, restaurants? Like, was 90% of the things they tested from grocery stores and sushi? Because then I don't think you can make that claim. Between 2010 and 2012, Oceana took 1,215 seafood samples from 674 retail outlets in 21 states. Did they say how many from each? No. Okay. However... Earlier investigations prior to this one by Oceanic and the Boston Globe revealed that seafood mislabeling is common in cities like New York and Boston. Yeah, that 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 check. Where people eat a lot of fish. I was going to say, also, I imagine Portland. Um. <laughs> well, it got worse, actually, for this most recent one. Some 49% of the retail outlets sampled in Austin, Texas and Houston, Texas sold mislabeled seafood. Okay, I guess from there they have zero context. Like, people from the area probably have zero context. 
because so if you're in Austin, you got a yeah, you got fifty fifty chance. <laughs> it might be Portland, it might be Boston. Who knows what you're gonna get? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, sushi makes. A, I just I would want to know how many they got from non grocery stores and sushi places. Because they just say retail outlets, and that's not saying a lot. Yeah. Well, part of the reason why this is also a big concern is if you mislabel the fish, what's a more expensive fish? You're kind of lying maybe about how much fish is of that species we have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually the less expensive fish have more mercury. And also theoretically are most likely being significantly more overfished than we think. Yes. Which means that those those fish are no longer going to be the cheaper fish. I mean, look, last year with COVID, tuna prices tanked. According to the TV show Wicked Tuna. Why tuna? Tuna sandwiches for lunch and such, I guess. Oh, well, it's a very common thing in sushi as well. Yeah. And no one was going to restaurants or buying it. So the buyers were literally like, the prices were like $18 a pound for a 500 pound tuna. And then they had to do a market shutdown to basically like kill the supply to get the demand back up. And even then it was only up to like 8 to $10 a pound for the best tuna. So what I'm hearing is that tuna populations might be on the rise because theoretically you're not going to fish them if they're cheap as well. I mean, they're still not going to be doing great. We still like overfishing. Yeah. Was it the filet of fish is the same fish as the... I mean, I'm guessing that's probably a whiting. That's a pretty cheap one. Yeah, no, that it obviously very cheap. I for, ah, Never mind. Uh, scratch that. I forget the comparison I was trying to make. Well, the National Fisheries Institute argues that the problem is one of enforcement. The FDA needs to do a better job of enforcing the laws that are already on the books to discourage fraud, and they encourage consumers to seek out retailers through the Better Seafood Board. I think the bigger issue is, I don't know what fish I'm eating, I just assume it's correct. Yeah, because again, if you're from a... Like, if you don't go out and catch the fish yourselves, or, you know, try to figure out and learn about fish, why would you know? Why would you care to know, honestly? Yeah, I buy tilapia. I assume it's tilapia. Maybe it's cod. Who knows? Eel's very distinct, at least. Eel is, yes. Yeah, that's that's the sushi. That's the fish that I like on sushi most. But uh, I, I I'll go for a uh, cooked shrimp roll because I don't like raw fish. That's fair. Yeah, octopus is just creepy to me. Cause... I have had squid, not on sushi, just in general squid. Yeah, it just. It, it feels wrong. Yeah, I also had to make a rule where when I went to uh, random Asian restaurants and would just order something off the menu that I didn't know what half the ingredients were, I should probably stop doing that because I got some weird things. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. Ordered a thing without knowing exactly what it is and how it's made. Well, I have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me that... Yeah, I also didn't mean to have two Boston facts. I didn't really realize that until I was reading. Hey, you kept on theme. I did, accidentally, but I did. The theme this year wasn't a year. It was a city. You're branching out. I'm proud of you. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm proud. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hats All I Know podcast. Hopefully you had some fun learning about fish and why you're probably not eating the right fish. But if you wanted to store all of the data about those fish, you could do it inside of a ping pong ball. Honestly, you could probably do that inside of like under your fingernail if it's just about fish. But if you didn't have fun, don't tell your friends to invest in, uh, or you know what? If you didn't enjoy it, no, wait, what? Uh, give your enemies some fish. There we are. Wow, I'm, I lost it. I just, if you didn't enjoy it, and if you did enjoy it, you can follow us on social media at Hats All We Know on Twitter and Instagram, or you can leave us a review or just subscribe so you can get our future episodes, which come out Mondays at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sorry, Boston Standard Time, I guess, if you're in Boston, because the rest of the world doesn't exist. Yeah, and with that, we'll wrap it up with one last David pun. What was the hat that I talked about? I, I'm glad that I lost it at the end here. Bucket hat. Right.
Well, if you're out wearing your bucket hat and, uh, what? You're supposed to do two puns. The pun I refused. Well, bucket. I'm just gonna say the pun that I wanted to say with the, your last fact that it seems very fishy when you go to restaurants that you're not getting what you ordered. Have fun.